0: Welcome back, history fans. Today, we're going to be talking about imperialism. Now, let's kind of talk about how this kind of fits into the grand scheme of things. I guess we're going to start with a definition here, and that will explain a little bit. But the definition of imperialism is as follows the policy of extending the rule or authority of an empire or nation over foreign countries, or of acquiring and holding colonies and dependencies. Basically, it's one country taking over another country. So, we've been talking about America kind of doing everything internally and kind of building up. We have industrialization and we're fixing some of our problems. And now that we are this just awesome country, we need to spread our awesome country to the rest of the world. And that's what we're getting into with this unit. So, we're going to be seeing how our way of doing things kind of starts going around the world and it takes different kind of shapes and forms. So we're going to be talking about four specifically and then we'll start getting into some examples of this. So the four ways that we are going to be taking over or spreading our ways are economic reasons, nationalistic reasons, military reasons, and humanitarian reasons. Now it's completely up to you how you remember these. I don't know, I like to pick some stuff like H-men, as in humanitarian, militaristic, economic, nationalistic, or every man needs hair. Sadly, I think I need more than most right now. But anyhow, however you want to remember those. So anyhow, let's talk about the economic reasons for taking over another country. Okay, bottom line, we are producing more goods at home in America, or any country for that matter. We need raw materials. So let's see do we buy it from a place or do we just take over that place and now we have all those materials for free or maybe we've made a ton of products like say toasters we've made all these toasters and we need people to buy these toasters so Let's take over a country and force them to only buy our toasters. So that's a good way to ensure that you have markets or you have materials to make products to sell to other markets. So that's an economic reason for taking over. If you want to go into more of this, I would check out my World History section of podcasts. I go into a little bit more in depth, but it's kind of building off of the same principles. It's all about products and just minimizing your costs, and that kind of goes along with our industrialization units. They actually go hand in hand. All right, another one is the nationalistic reasons for taking over. All right, basically, you extend your empire or country because you believe that your country or empire is the best because the definition of nationalism is devotion and loyalty to one's own nation or extreme patriotism. So basically, we have this immense pride in our country, and we want everyone else to show that same, you know, um, enjoyment of our culture and we want to take over other areas of the world and spread our culture. Now, before I get into a whole bunch of ways of how our culture is spreading to the rest of the world, I want to go over a couple examples of just like how we demonstrate this within our culture or in other cultures for that matter. Matter. So, a lot of times, national symbols is a way to show this nationalism or patriotism. So, an America a national symbol would probably be like the American flag or the Statue of Liberty kind of thing. A national culture, something that kind of overridingly is our culture or part of our culture, maybe. Fourth of July, maybe, would be part of our culture. Uh, the thing about our culture is that we are kind of a conglomerate or melting pot of other people's cultures, so I don't know if America can just claim one particular cultural thing, but I guess the idea of spending lots of money, materialism, sadly, might be part of our culture. Uh, national music, uh, I would say jazz and blues would be, you know, definitely national music for America. National literature, Um Probably, let's go with Hunger Games for a modern day one and Tom Sawyer style for some of the older ones. Uh, National Folklore, uh, Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan would be some of those tales. National Mythology, uh, maybe like Bigfoot, although a lot of cultures have some type of Bigfoot type thing. Uh, Jersey Devil Mythology, So, probably the closest for mythology for us, unless you go back to Native Americans. National identity, how we identify ourselves, I don't know how much Americans say that. You know, maybe the word murica, um, if you go with that. Not saying that's a good thing, necessarily, but that is kind of a national identity. Um, Other countries sometimes look, used to at least, look at us as like cowboys. Uh, National dishes or food, you know, apple pie, actually from Britain. Um... But anything deep-fried, I think, would probably be American national food. Uh, National sports. Great American pastime. Baseball. Uh, National heroes. If you go back to, like, Founding Fathers, Martin Luther King. um, Yeah, past presidents. You could get a whole bunch of their national values. What we value. Probably personal space, family. um, Yeah, I'm not... You know, we could probably go with a few different things of what we value. So, anyhow... When America or any country takes over other countries, we sometimes spread our ways of doing things because our ways are the best ways of doing things. Like, for instance... After Japan fell during World War II, we helped to rebuild Japan. Uh, General MacArthur was over there and basically rebuilt it in the same manner at which the United States was set up. We, We helped them set up a democracy. Going back old school Roman times, when the Roman Empire would expand, they would often build up infrastructure and they would build buildings that were important to their culture, like bathhouses, for example. And kind of building off of this culture, we do see this thing called cultural nationalism, which is you know, just an offshoot of nationalism. But it is it uh, defines a nation by a shared culture. And the idea of this shared culture, it's something that you experience throughout your life. It's not just something that you can't say, oh, I was born there, so I know what it's like to be American. No, no, no. You have to... Be here in America. You have to understand the 4th of July of eating hot dogs and blowing stuff up. America, that kind of stuff. You need to experience it. All right. So um, another kind of offshoot, this religious nationalism, and it defines an entire nation by a shared religion. And there are some areas of the world and some countries that we're like, oh, you know, Ireland we usually associate with Catholicism. Um, Vatican City, technically a country, Um, Israel, uh, maybe parts of the Middle East, we think, all these different areas we think of maybe certain religions within that area. Now, this whole idea of nationalism, it doesn't just stop at a national level, you know, just with one country. Sometimes you actually see, like, smaller movements of nationalistic ideas happening within nations. For example, like, you have America. And then it's like, oh, wait, well, I, I'm a Texan. Or, you know, uh, Canada, same thing. It's like, oh, you're from Canada. No, I'm from Quebec. Uh, or someone is from Brooklyn. Or I'm a New Yorker. You know, those kind of things. Or I'm from Jersey. You know, those kind of things. Sorry, I'm trying to, like, jump into a few different accents here. And these ideas of nationalism occurring within nations, sometimes you see uh, political parties or politicians that, Kind of embody certain like aspects of nationalism, and we call these politicians nationalist politicians, and they often campaign for strengthening national unity, bringing people together, especially during times of crisis, bringing together national salvation. You know, it's like we will bring our troops home from war, uh, we will bring back the economy and make things you know better again here in America, or. They often emphasize national identity in saying, look, America, we are the best. We want everything American. We want to get rid of anything foreign, so buy American, or get rid of these French fries. Better yet, let's call them freedom fries. Now, I know that sounds kind of weird, but actually, after September 11th, there was a movement to not call French fries French fries anymore, call them freedom fries. French toast would have been liberty toast. Okay, I know that sounds kind of weird, all these things that I'm talking about with a nationalist politician, they might sound kind of familiar in some politicians, and I'm not saying it's necessarily bad to be proud of a country or anything like that, but it can get out of hand. All the ones I'm listing could technically go right along with, like, say, Hitler. For instance, strengthening nation, nation strengthening national unity. Sorry, my tongue just went full. Anyhow, bringing everyone together, he did that in Germany all right, campaigning for national salvation in time of crisis, he did that, there was uh, terrible deflation and unemployment going on within Germany, and he wanted to, you know, bring everyone together, emphasizing national identity, getting rid of things that aren't part of the nation, yeah, he did that with the, like, book burnings, and getting rid of paintings, and anything that was not considered part of Germany. uh, Continuing on this, the next word, and I'll give you the Hitler example going along with this, xenophobia is a fear or contempt of foreigners, Um, and building off of that, limiting immigration, in extreme cases, ethnic cleansing. So um, both of those kind of going along with uh, the view on people that were not considered true Germans or those Aryans, he wanted to get rid of uh, people who have the Jewish faith and other um, aspects of society, people that he did not want within the country. Another one here: taking over land that is considered part of the national homeland. All right, so you know, taking back this area for the motherland. All right, Hitler took over Austria. He uh, wanted autonomy for the Sudetenland. Um, Russia, back in two thousand and seven, maybe two thousand and eight, Russia took over South Ossetia, saying that there was ethnic Russians there. Uh, Russia again, two thousand and fourteen. Russia and Ukraine region um, known as Crimea when you know citing that all oh, that part used to be part of the Soviet Union we're taking this over so this whole idea of nationalism you know taking over an area emphasizing national identity all of this can kinda of contribute to this kind of nation building or empire building and don't worry the big empire you know the British Empire will address them a little bit later on that's historically one of the biggest ones all right so Um, Let's move on to military factors before we get to humanitarian. So military factors is basically we would take over an area because we require it for strategic places. It's like when you play chess or if you play checkers or tic-tac-toe, some of your opening moves uh, you do because it's strategic. You want to have this area because you can keep an eye on different areas of the country or map or game or whatever it is that you're playing. Uh, you can also use these areas to, to refuel your military ships as they are going from one place to another. For instance, we're going to talk about this later, when going to, say, Japan, it would be great to have a military base in, like, say, oh, Hawaii, uh, to refuel and get more, you know, fresh troops and food and gas and bullets and all kinds of stuff that you might need. So you take over these different areas because it can help you out strategically. And a lot of countries have military presence all over the world for exactly those reasons, to have military presence and control of these areas. And the last factor that we're going to be talking about, the humanitarian factors. Basically, you take over an area of the, of the world because you want to help them. Um, During the time that we're talking about here, you know, kind of 1800s, early 1900s, basically countries felt the need to spread religion and other Western ideas to the rest of the world and um, spreading democracy would also fit under this. So you're going over to bring um, other countries, you know, uh, better ways of living just to to help them but you're also making them more like you so it's also kind of nationalistic um, this a, a term was coined during this time the white man's burden um, and it was actually a poem that was written about the Philippines by uh, Rudyard Kipling That's an interesting first name. Um, And it was basically about how the United States must take over to help the backwards people of the Philippines. So basically you're taking over these countries because you want to help people. Like if there was a terrible um, earthquake in a region of the world and their government just wasn't able to help out the people, well, we better take over so we can help the people. Now, while we're taking over, maybe it, it might help out our country too kind of thing. So... Anyhow, those are kind of the the four sources or reasons for taking over. Now, depending on, you know, different history books you read or different professors that you're listening to or talking to, they might cite um, some different reasons or factors or they might use different terms for them, but they all kind of boil down to about the same information. So that is imperialism in a nutshell of taking over other countries and why one might take over another country or why one country might start to take over others and form these empires and so forth. So... I'm gonna get into some examples and talk about why this time period uh, was kind of ripe for imperialism at least for our America standpoint but I will make some references to Britain really soon. Um, but anyhow, How did imperialism travel, you might ask? And I would respond, great question, and that is with transportation. The ability to move people, ideas, and information over greater distances in less time was now achievable. We have all these boats and eventually planes. Uh, We have railroads, and people can move all over the place. So this was all part of industrialization. So these people are all moving, and they're carrying with them ideas and information. Now, historically, There is Great Britain, which is considered, you know, uh, the sun never sets on the British Empire because they had so much, you know, control over so many different areas of the world that they had, you know, the sun was always shining on something the British owned. If you ever heard that saying, that's why. And remember, the British, it's this little island nation. They had a vast navy. That's transportation. So they brought a lot of their ideas and trade all over the place. So, anyhow back to america here after the civil war america was slowly starting to show interest around the world and trading and so forth because hey we're building up industrialization we're building a lot of things we need to start selling these things so one of the places that we're going to go is japan so commodore matthew c perry sailed to tokyo bay forcing japan to start strict trading with the united states Alright, up until this time, Japan did not want to trade with anyone. Any Anyone who went there to try to trade, they would basically kill everyone. In some cases, they would kill everyone on the boat and leave one person alive and tell them to take that boat back to whatever country they came from and tell everyone, don't mess with Japan because they kill everyone who tries to trade. So, Commodore Matthew C. Perry shows up with these huge ships and cannons and guns and he says, look. You guys are going to trade with us. I'll be back in one year, and then you're going to start trading with us. Or I'm going to come back with bigger guns. So Japan's like, fine. All right, now, this might sound like a military factor because he's going in with guns and whatnot, but it all boils down to economics. He wants to make money for America. We want to trade with them. No one else is trading with them. they got a large population. They want to buy stuff. How about they buy stuff from America? So, um... Anyhow, now the United States has all these shipping routes and so forth that are going all over. Well, we need to refuel them and protect all of our transportation routes, okay? So now that we're trading with Japan, we need to say take over some place like, oh, I don't know, Hawaii or kind of, we'll get into that, set up a naval base there to look after our transportation routes. So, now, it's not just Hawaii, which I'll talk about here in just a second. We also took over in 1867 Midway Island. It's this little, small, uninhabited island. It's like the size of the Toledo airport. So we took over that to set up a military base to help us out with protecting our trade routes. Eight years later, we signed a treaty with Hawaii. And it was basically an agreement that Hawaii could sell sugar in the United States duty-free which basically means without taxes, as long as they did not sell or lease territory to any other foreign power. And we set up basically Pearl Harbor. Now America, we were kind of looking around all the little islands and countries all near the United States and making sure that kind of all these areas were in line with the American way of doing things and American trade and so forth. And this was all part of the Monroe Doctrine. And the Monroe Doctrine is a U.S. doctrine which, on December 2nd, 1823, stated that European powers were no longer to colonize or interfere with the affairs of the newly independent nations of the Americas. And the bottom line is, look, don't mess with America. We're this new country. Uh, We have kind of built ourselves up. Don't mess with America, and also don't mess with the areas around America. And these areas around us is known as a sphere of influence, or a territorial area over which political and economic influences influence is wielded by one nation. So... It's not just that the United States are awesome, but all the countries around us have to be kind of in line with our awesomeness. Like, for instance, we would hate it if there was a country like 90 miles away from, like, say, Florida that was communist. So, for instance, Cuba was communist, um, you know, for for many years and is kind of at the... as of recording of this right now in 2016. Oh, I'm dating myself. Um, it is maybe... Um, moving towards away from communism. But anyhow, we don't historically like communism being so close to America. So bottom bottom line is we want all the areas around America to have our best um, interests at hand kind of thing. And we were really worried about Latin America and the Caribbean islands, Um, so much so that we are kind of going to start a little war here momentarily, um, probably when I get back from the little break. So... um, For the most part, as I close up this section of the podcast, um, the argument for U.S. expansion was mostly centered around economic reasons. We had this huge industrialized country, and we need to sell stuff because not everyone in the United States can consume everything that we are producing. So we need to find markets to sell, and we need to protect um, America's security. We need to protect our trade routes uh, with a naval fleet and everything. So, anyhow, this was, you know, the... Big reason for American expansion. All right, the next one that I'm going to talk to in our about in our next little section is going to be about the American spirit. So I'm going to stop here and we'll pick up with the American spirit and also go into war and whatnot in our next episode of podcast. So stay tuned. See you soon.